out there in Star Wars, it's time for another episode of Star Wars All In, the show that goes all in on all the topics, characters, plots, things, stuff of that galaxy far, far away. My name is Mac, and I'm joined by my fellow Death Watch curious co-host, Ross. Mac, great to be back as always. Today, we are approaching a subject that we have long put off, but we have been wanting to talk about for a while. Today, we are talking about the Duchess of Mandalore during the Clone Wars. Democracy speaks. Yes. Sorry. Yes, Satine yes, yes. The um, character who, unfortunately, we don't get to know as well as we would like, but boy, do we have a lot to say about her, I think. Yeah, I think the biggest thing about it is her appearances are limited, but are extremely impactful, as we yes. discussed. And also, around her, we get lots of other things introduced into the Star Wars world that will go on to become very, very big and important linchpins in the story. Absolutely. she She's an interesting character, pretty much confined to the Clone Wars, um, but again, has impacts and waves through everything, including the newest corridors of Star Wars. So, Absolutely. I think it's going to be a good one. I think we have a lot to say, and I'm looking forward to it. All right. And I hope you will join us right after this. Sadness and our long Jedi passed their time, oh, keeping love off their minds. In that moment, I could have stayed, but the pull was much too strong. Listen to the Mandalorian, Obi Wan sacrifice made. I can sense a heartbreak as I go to hyperspace. Listen to the Mandalorian. All right, I'm going to get it out of the way right now. If I accidentally say saltine from a very long joke I've had with this character, I apologize. Never a good sign when a Mac is immediately dismissive of a character's name. But he does have a history with not remembering names. So to be fair, it is in character. I, I wouldn't necessarily, I wouldn't chalk it up to, to Mallet. What is Hal, Harlan's laser? Never acute, uh, equate to malice what is easily described by stupidity. <laughs> um, 
and let's let's also be honest. I have definitely had a a let's say rocky relationship with the the Duchess of Mandalore herself. Satine. Mm, I think I know why, but I'm excited to hear about it. Because... And we won't dwell on it because those wounds have healed quite nicely, all things considered. <laughs> all right. So as we said in the intro, we are here to, t- to talk about Satine Kreez. Satine won our fan vote this week, and we could not be happier talking about this character. Super duper excited to go into it. Now, uh, just as we said, as a heads up, you know, some spoilers here for the Clone Wars primarily. Yeah. That's pretty much what we'll be talking about tonight. Yeah, because her her entrance into the story is basically during the during the entirety of the Clone Wars. Yes, her her character history extends earlier than that. Yes, um, but what do you want to start there? You want to go chronologically? I, I mean, I think we should start with her first Clone Wars appearance. I think that probably okay. makes the most sense, right? Because yeah. the number one place we are going to see Satine is going to be in the Clone Wars. That's the majority of her story, and she starts out early on in season two. Mm-hmm. And she appears in the episode, The Mandalore Plot. Plot. Great name. Yes. As most of the names for uh, the Clone Wars are. So this is season two, episode 12. Yeah. Now, Mac, let's talk about Satine as a character before we even get into the details of each episode, okay? Yeah. Because we'll talk about some of her kind of biggest moments. But let's just talk about her as a person first. Who is this person? So Satine is the Duchess of Mandalore, essentially the elected ruler of Mandalore. Yeah, the the head of state. Yes, yes, yes. So basically the person who is sort of guiding the entirety of the planet, and then below her is the prime minister, second in charge. So it's sort of like a queen prime minister type of situation. A parliamentary monarchy, I believe. Mm -hmm. Okay, perfect. Merry old England is, which has the same thing. So the the Duchess is primarily not only a a symbolic position, but they also are, from what we can tell, at least from, you know, the limited Mandalorian politics, yeah. they're also sort of, they set the timbre for policy. Yeah. They're the ones making the decisions for the planet, and then they're essentially delegating to everybody else. They're mm-hmm. the ones who kind of the buck stops with them. They are sort of making the final decisions, even though they're not the only person who holds a position of power. Mm-hmm. At least that's what it seems. It, you know, it never yeah, really I mean, gets with, too into it. With the prime minister, you assume that there's electoral bodies that are existent that are representing the will of the people, and mm-hmm. when that will comes to the... Satine. Satine is not only mm-hmm. informing that organization to mm-hmm. to what the kind of policies they should be following, but also on top of that is, you know, well, it gets weird because when we start seeing Mandalorian politics come down, they eventually just go to a complete Darwinist like, you know, survival of the fittest. So, yes, it gets weird. But I think what we we notice is Satine is this wonderful stateswoman. She is regal. She is refined. She has a tremendous amount of decorum and eloquence. Mm -hmm. And one of the things that Satine really brings is a passionate love of democracy and specifically the higher ideals of the Republic, the concept of peace. The Mandalorians are absolutely obsessed with peace, which is why we have the Mandalorian plot begin, because it is the Republic sending Jedi to sort of commune with them because everybody wants to tip Mandalore their way because Mandalore is not only an independent system in the Clone Wars, but is sort of 
the leader, the tip of the spear of a number of different delegations that are sticking with neutrality. And if Mandalore goes one way or the other, a good portion of those independent systems would also. Yes, I believe the episode says 1,500 neutral worlds with basically Duchess Satine being the voice for them to the Republic. Yeah, and so it's it's this whole important strategic thing that she wants to remain out of their war. Um, and if they don't, this kind of vanguard that Mandalore is will just cascade this whole effect of a whole bunch of other systems going like, well, if Mandalore has to get involved, I guess we do too. Exactly. And the Duchess wants nothing more than to stop that. Now, the Jedi hear this rumor that Satine and Mandalore may be making droids for Dooku. So they send good old Obi-Wan Kenobi to investigate. And, you know, when he arrives, that's essentially where the episode starts. And this is where we really get to meet Satine for the first time. So Kenobi arrives in the throne room. And if you're familiar with Clone Wars, this is the same throne room that season seven of Clone Wars uh, essentially concludes in during the Ahsoka Maul arc, the Siege of Mandalore, Mm -hmm. um, you know, where they have their big fight in the uh, second episode of that arc. And so this is really cool to see the throne room here (laughs) with many less polygons much much uh less detail in general you know we're seeing it during the day here it's a very different look but it is still the same room it's still very recognizable because the one thing that's really nice is mandalore as an art design is a very angular place yes the people the architecture the trees they're all very squared Mm -hmm. angled and i think it looks really really good because this is also a shorthand you've seen in a lot of science fiction where the kind of like warrior culture tends to have sharper angles, 45s, 90 degree angles mm-hmm. in its architecture and stuff. Because we learn, you know, I say learn as if I didn't know, but like to the viewers of the Clone Wars, the kids who grew up on it, their first learning about Mandalore is they used to be this great warrior people until they essentially wiped out their own planet. Their infighting, their warring has left that there are very few places on Mandalore that are particularly habitable. habitable. It's mm-hmm. mostly just a white desert. Mm-hmm. And these domed cities, like the capital, is where the Mandalorians live now. And this is the reason that they're so obsessed with peace is because... They've walked away from their warrior ways. It almost destroyed their entire culture, and they said, we, we got to put an end to it. And Satine is, again, sort of the vanguard of that viewpoint, yeah. what are referred to as the new Mandalorians. And it is hopefully a story we'll get one day, because as we'll discuss here as we go through, you know, Mandalore goes through some changes during the Clone Wars over you know the course of a couple of years. Mm-hmm. But what I would love to know is, you know, When did this war happen? You know, we assume it was a while ago, and this is, you know, not a new thing for the Mandalorians to be this peaceful race, but we actually have no idea. The the main thing that's that's strange about this is when Obi-Wan arrives on the scene, Satine is super suspicious of him because they're like, of course they sent you. Yes. Because they know that I have a soft spot for you. Literally, the way she introduces Obi-Wan, because he walks into sort of like the equivalent of a council meeting on Mandalore. You know, she's there overseeing some other delegates or other people from other systems of neutral uh, of neutrality. And the word she uses to describe, I, I wrote it down here because literally, my Jedi, my shining Jedi, night to the rescue once again after all these years you know so they're obviously setting up history here literally right at the beginning they're letting us know that these characters know each other but they have a very um 
shall we say, uh, snippy back and forth to start. Yeah, I mean, they're just one way. Well, they're one step away from him calling her Snips and her calling him Sky Guy. I mean, it's got a it's got a, a very uh, witty um back and forth between these two absolutely so they have this conversation in the throne room that's a little more tense and then they sort of go on a walk together and that's where mm-hmm. all the pretext drops where they're actually talking as just two people not a ruler and a jedi but just no two longer people. master jedi kenobi and duchess satine but satine ben Yeah, and this is where Obi-Wan sort of learns what's going on, and he basically learns that Death Watch, a group of, um, as uh, Satine calls them, hooligans, you know, basically a group not to really worry about, They're, they're sort of like, you know, they're up there on the moon. You know, they're trying to revive the warrior ways, but they're fine. They're out of the way. They're not bothering anybody. They're not actually hurting us here in the city. Listen, Just let them be. In the backwards parts of Corindon, there's a whole bunch of weird people, weird ideas up there. We don't think about them. They just stay in the swamp, you know? Like, I can't help it, but this is always how I've seen Death Watch. Death Watch is the paramilitary, you know, guys out building a compound in the woods with survivalist, you know, stuff. You know, plotting to overthrow the government. Like, Mm -hmm. that's... That's the mold that they live in. (laughs) Very, very much so. And it won't be for a little while we meet them because what we learn here is, oh, I even wrote down, I even wrote down in my notes, she calls them a band of hooligans. I love it. Uh, Maybe, maybe I'm wrong. Maybe they're not just a whole bunch of good old boys. Maybe they are more just a bunch of hoodies running around with the hoods up, just (laughs) making it, making a ruckus. So this is our not only our first time meeting Satine, but our first time hearing of Death Watch. And they will become huge in Star Wars as we go forward. They will become essential to many, many things. So and we'll talk very about different it. from their first introduction. Yes. Yes. We'll absolutely. get into that. So we're going to talk about it. So essentially, what we have here is we have this walk and all of a sudden a building blows up right there where they're at. Yeah. And left in the rubble of the building is a little hologram projector that projects the Death Watch symbol. And right. even though Satine literally just said they're a bunch of hooligans, they wouldn't do anything big like this. Here they are with actual proof. And they're there at the scene as the building explodes. Obi-Wan sees a man running away from the scene, chases him, chases him to a rooftop, and the man literally jumps off the roof and kills himself. Yes. Pretty intense for a children's for TV show. Two? Especially, right? Um, so this guy literally jumps off a roof. Um, he is speaking a different dialect. So that leads them back to realizing he is from the moon where... Death Watch is established. Yeah, Cor- Concord Dawn is is just sort of like, I guess in some ways, the last habitable part of the Mandalore system in the sense of like, you don't need to be in a dome city or anything. But it also looks like it's not a great place to live. <laughs> yeah, I don't know if it's where I'd want to be with all these terrorist attacks. But, I mean, that's kind of the idea, right? Is they're trying to turn it around. They're trying to make it a place that they can be proud of. Mandalorians are a proud people, and they're proud of their heritage, sure, but they believe they can move on and be better than sort yeah, of the where politi- they've come from. The political climate makes these people extremists and, uh, to be honest, just terrorists, right? The, the Even if people agreed with them, for the most part, people just are like, we're, we're not, we're not, the bombing buildings isn't going to convince me that this is good. We're all peaceniks down here. Explosions mm-hmm. aren't a great way to convince us. Yeah, I mean, completely agree. You, <laughs> they are 
as opposite as you could be, right? What the Mandalorians and, want and what Death Watch wants, complete opposites. And Satine is completely trying to downplay it. Even though the evidence just happened in front of her, there's a certain level of just like, we can handle our own affairs. This is an internal matter. We don't need Jedi. Yeah, they we still don't, need don't the want any outside help at all from the Republic. No, not at all. And so Obi-Wan and Satine decide to go together to deliver the body of the man to the moon. Right, right. Because Obi-Wan can't go on on his own. Satine says, they will not let you there without me there. And so they arrive, and this is where we meet another new character, Pre Vizsla. The governor of Concord Dawn. The yes. the person who's the, you know, trusted lieutenant uh, of Duchess Satine, who tries to maintain order in the Mandalorian, you know, government's presence here on Concord Dawn. And... So far, you know, at the beginning, it seems pretty normal. They have a little bit of a, you know, quippy interaction. And Obi-Wan believes that there's something more going on here than meets the eye. So he goes to investigate a factory <laughs> so while Satine stays behind. Satine's like, well, we have to have dinner with Pre Vizsla. I think it will be a good time for you to discuss things. I'm going to take this bike and go and check and see what's going on on the planet. But before di oh, you're gone. Oh, this is going to be an awkward dinner. <laughs> And it is. <laughs> and it is an awkward dinner. Um, let's see here. Uh, so Satine does, at first, you know, she's confiding in Vizsla about the Death Watch and the way they're growing, right? Mm -hmm. um, and then, as the night starts to go on, things start to get a little weird. Obi-Wan discovers a droid factory that is absolutely operational, not shut down as it's supposed to be. You not find only... this station is fully operational. <laughs> not only that, but he gets attacked by a few members of Death Watch. Yes. And I just got to say, I just got to throw it out there. Does Obi-Wan Kenobi get captured more than anybody in Star Wars? He's got to be up there. He, he gets captured a lot. Yeah, he also kills maybe more than anybody else, which is kind of funny. Like he's also Hey, hey can I just say maybe that's a good progressive mark that the 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 male dude gets captured more than a bunch of the ladies. That's good. <laughs> for for, you know, he's the damsel in distress a lot now that you mention it. I mean, yeah, for real, and that's what happens here. So he gets captured, he gets uh caught up, like they they trap him in like a I don't know what would you call it, like a, a, a tractor beam type of thing, like a yeah. It, it's it's really, like a force field. It, it's type really of deal. funny because what I like what this ends up doing, how they set up is like they totally set up the old like Dudley Do Right, like you're on the conveyor belt going to the thing that saws the logs. Yes. Not exactly. Obviously, it's molten metal and all this kind of stuff, but it's yeah. like it's such a classic cartoon yeah. setup. If anything, it's like the droid factory scene in episode two. Yeah, I mean, which... a much more stripped down version of it, but same thing. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So <laughs> Obi-Wan, thinking, you know, calls Satine, who is wearing a concealed earpiece. And she sneaks Making off the dinner to party him. even more awkward. Oh, yes, very awkward. You know, they're waiting for Obi-Wan to arrive so they can eat. Satine says she has to run out, get some fresh air, and she takes a speeder bike and goes and, to find Obi-Wan. And let's be honest, Pre Vizsla has been doing sort of the veiled commentaries of playing devil's advocate to Satine's mm -hmm. politics about like, well, maybe some of the people don't want what you're offering Satine. Maybe some people even in this room, but we're the only ones in this room. I know. Did you ever think about it? <laughs> yeah. There very much is that kind of obvious foreshadowing. foreshadowing when you know what you're looking for. I think they don't telegraph it as much as they have some other things in the show, no. but it's still, 
I, I, and I think at the time the we were definitely not looking that direction. Right. We thought he might be a sympathizer letting it happen or something. But like when Satine goes to the droid yeah. factory and narrowly helps Obi-Wan escape yeah. from this death trap. That is where Pre Vizsla reveals himself to actually be the leader of Death Watch. He's got a cool cape and everything to signify it. And capes are very cool in the Star Wars universe. Capes Just are very cool. And as we see him walking out with his minions, not only in his full Mandalorian armor, by the way, not only do we see his cool cape, we also see he has a sword strap to his back. Hmm. Yes, he does. I wonder what that is. Matt, could you tell us about the sword? So what happens here is, so Satine and Obi-Wan start realizing like, oh, there's a whole camp. There's a whole... Again, cab, camp in the woods, a military compound where they're plotting to overthrow the government. And they're trying to figure out the ways out. And Pre Vizsla sort of talks about the fact of his contempt for the Jedi and how he doesn't want them here. And he made a deal with Dooku because Dooku understands our warrior ways, <laughs> our need to conquer, our need to, you know, go forth and, you know, not the weakness of Satine. And he's like, I don't prove that. And. Basically, sets up that, you know, I'll duel you because I can fight you because I have the Darksaber. Yes. This ancient weapon that was the first, they don't necessarily say this in the episode, but like, this is the first lightsaber constructed by the first Mandalorian introduced to the Jedi Order. So these yes. bitter ancient enemies eventually came together. And the Darksaber is, ironically, the symbol of the Jedi and the Mandalorian people yes. kind of getting over their warrior, you know, their continual fighting. And yes. this is sort of the union of those two yes. peoples. But of course, Pre Viz is like, this sword says that we can make cool light, light swords. Mine, look, it's dark. It's black. You know what? Because that's a, just in case you don't know I'm a villain. Black and pointy. And I will, I will win. I will beat the crap out of you, Obi-Wan. Bring it. And he does put up a heck of a fight. They have a really, really great battle scene here, especially for early on in the show. You yeah. Know, season two, it's a really, really good battle scene. Lots of good action. Lots of fluidity. Um, lots of different techniques that you're seeing. You know, lots of jumping around and jetpack usage and all that kind of stuff. And Pre Vizsla is doing quite well. I mean, yes, he's using some of his armor to augment the fact he's not a Jedi. Yeah. But for someone who doesn't have, uh, you know pre-senses it's pretty good that he's running around with the lightsaber and not cutting himself apart yeah i mean realistically obi-wan has a bad track record against fighting mandalorians uh that's true so wow that's true yeah <laughs> so you know he i mean obi-wan does win this fight basically pre Vizsla uses his minions to kind of distract so they can all get away to their ships yes but i mean basically obi-wan does win the fight but it's not a easy battle for him that's for sure and so mm -hmm. now we know out there there is a guy who has a lightsaber is actively working for Dooku, fighting against Satine and the rest of Mandalore. Mm -hmm. And still, Satine does not want help from the Republic. Yeah. Meanwhile, Pre Vizsla has, like, been talking to um, Dooku about the fact of, like, you know, you promised you'd give us all the stuff we need to take overthrow it. And Dooku's like, yeah, if you serve me, you'll be the leader of Mandalore if you serve me. Stop dicking around with Jedi and stuff and s yeah. stick to our plan. <laughs> yes. And so the episode ends, you know, uh, Vizsla is defeated, at least for now, and they're back on Mandalore. And Obi-Wan basically tells Satine, listen, so if Dooku really is involved in this, then the Republic's going to step in here. Like, 
we, we kind of have to. They're going to have to. I yeah. mean, I, I looked at a treaty and it says we can probably legally make this happen. Yeah. It's not imperialism, I promise. <laughs> um, yeah. And, and, and Satine basically yells at him saying, we will never join this war. No matter what. Even even it where even if Death Watch associates with them, that does not mean Mandalore does. Right. Right. And Obi-Wan doesn't view it that way because he's just being very pragmatic and realistic. But he also wants those systems on their side so that the war can come to an end closer with the more resources they have. And also he wants to protect Satine, who he yes. thinks is being naive right now. <laughs> yes, absolutely. And that is where our first episode with Satine ends. And a lot happens in this episode. Mm -hmm. It's our first time seeing Mandalore in new canon. Yep. It's our first time seeing the Darksaber. It's the first time meeting Pre Vizsla, voiced by uh, John Favreau, by the way, if you weren't familiar. Uh, a guy who knows a thing or two and really likes a Mandalore. <laughs> he does. He does. So, I mean, this is a huge episode. I think it might be the first time we see those cool Mandalorian ships that I can never remember the name of. Oh, uh, the... Um... You know... You know which one I mean. Uh, blank class cruisers. It's not. It's not Kelden class. All right, you think Something. on that because I sure don't know. I'll, I'll look it up. They're okay. beautiful, and you know what else I like about those ships yeah. a lot? They just keep showing up. They do. And I like the fact that they just have sort of a consistent through line of yeah. like, oh no, this design works. It's awesome. We're yeah. gonna keep it. Yeah. And I also okay. So let's say a few production things here while we're yes. in the episode break. Yeah. So first thing I want to say about those ships is I love those ships. They have the turning wings. Yes. And that is because Slave One has the turning wings, and so everything about Joe Johnston's design for for Boba Fett's armor, it's like they took the planet and tried to build an entire planet based on that armor. Because <laughs> the ships, if you look at them from the top, it's it's almost a cross section of the T visor that he has, like yeah. especially with the swooped pieces. Uh, and I love it. Um, the other thing I want to mention is, so this aside from rogue one was one of the first times they ever had a crisis of faith with star Wars, <laughs> because this was a huge sort of like bomb that went off in just admittedly just one corridor of the fandom. For the most part, the fans were like, oh, wow, this is an interesting twist. It's kind of weird, though. Weren't they warriors? Isn't that their kind of things? Aren't they Star Wars' Klingons? Like, isn't that the point? Yeah. And it was weird to recontextualize that the warriors are the crazy people, right? That they're the marginalized citizens that should not be your heroes, right? And that this was such a staunch, staunch pacifist culture, um, which is... Like the opposite of what Mandalorians were. Now, this was particularly painful for me and people in the corridor because we were reading Karen Trevise's books about the Republic Commandos at the time. And at that time, canon was that Django Fett was the clone template and he trained personally the ARC troopers. But he got a whole bunch of Mandalorian mercenaries, people he trusted to do all the other ones, like Commandos and anyone else who was doing spec ops. And so there was like um, Cal Circa. Circa? Circa, um, who was like the trainer of the commandos that we're reading about in Karen Travis's book. And like, you're learning about Mando Awe, the ancient warrior language and the tenets of the Mandalorian sort of creed and all this kind of stuff. And it was freaking amazing. And then it was suddenly done before the last book was published because none of it could make sense anymore. And this is back when, you know, we are before Disney. So it is assumed that everything in Star Wars has been checked by, like, Pablo Hidalgo and the other Keepers of the Holocron, and everything sort of works. 
but we had never dealt with this much G-level canon coming in. George Lucas going, well, you know what? I What if there were peaceniks? That'd be cool. And, you know, just paving over swaths of the EU with Clone Wars. Um, you know, it started with all the books that everyone wrote in like 2002 in response to like, oh, these are the tie-ins for like the gap between episodes two and three. And like almost none of them could survive because Clone Wars just pushed them out. out. Yeah. And at the time it was much more contentious because it wasn't Disney that just said, no, all of that's legends. All of it. It was still this sort of winding road of what counted and what yeah. didn't count. And very famously, Karen Trevis basically said, well, I finished the manuscript for that book, so I'm done. I'm never going to take a Star Wars contract ever again. And went off to write some extremely good books for an even dumber universe, which is Gears of War. And was great because Karen Trevis was um, Royal Air Force, I think, uh, British, and, and wrote really good military science fiction because former military. So had just a really, really good, good feeling. And again, as someone who was obsessed with Mandalorians from like Knights of the Republic on, it was problematic to think that they were super peace peaceniks. Like it seemed so counterintuitive. Yeah. Um, yeah. I mean, you had an expectation. Yes. Of what they would be going in. And obviously not only was that expectation completely shattered, but it was so drastically different, right? Oh yeah. You're taking the 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 people who the you know the weapons are my religion crowd and turning <laughs> them into you know the cult, uh, you know, out in well, the middle you, of the yeah. middle you of went, nowhere. You went from a culture that's like, you know, um, this highly you know these rodent samurai running around doing these you know honorable deeds and being these very powerful and and you know warriors to. But what if they were all Swiss? What what about that? Now, I'm going to backpedal on what I just said, mm -hmm, because as mm -hmm. this wound is healed, one of the things that I found, like, especially in the current rewatch, uh, I'm very excited. My friend who I've been re-showing Star Wars to, we get to uh, Siege of Mandalore uh, in the next day or so, which nice. is great. Um, but one of the things that I think is a really sad thing is George Lucas did decide that they're peaceniks. And from... Like, the word go, they try to slowly pull back and retcon it. It's yeah. a very weird thing, because these first arcs that we're talking about, like, Pre Vizsla is a terrorist and a psychopath, yeah. right? He is so alien to the culture he's born from. He seems just insane, right? But as we go on, Death Watch will only increase its influence. The people of Mandalore will seem more connected to their warrior ways, like every appearance. And by the end, I think the saddest thing about it is like Satine's um, viewpoint is just sort of smothered, which is especially bad because one of the things about Satine, why a lot of us called her Saltine for a while, because she's just this white bread nothing, <laughs> Um was because peace is her thing. That's her character trait. That's her defining character trait, mm -hmm. is that more than, like, Padme, she believes that peace is through non-aggression, pacifism. There can be no weapons if we expect people to be peaceful, right? And I think the saddest thing about her character throughout the entire course of the show is she's just proven wrong all the time because war is the second word in this franchise, 
And so for an action adventure show that is set during the Clone Wars, she always seems sort of in the wrong. She always seems naive. She always seems a little too simplistically looking at the galaxy. But that's because our perspective is from the Jedi, the Republic, the Separatists, the heart, the flashpoints of these battles, when I just don't think Satine is ever allowed to really present a compelling argument for why her and these thousands of systems are like, we want nothing to do with your war. Cause in the next episode, we see that even her inner circle is not all on board with this stuff. Hmm. Yes, that's all very true. And we should talk about the next episode, but now I'm just kind of thinking about what you were just saying of like, well, we keep going really backtrack. I guess as we go through the yeah. biography, I think we can talk about it. But yeah, but so we enter the second episode, which yep. is I think I think is actually my probably favorite Out of episode. These three, it is certainly it's my really favorite good. too. It's called Voyage of Temptation, where we start to get some actual backstory now for Satine. Yes, and so what we have here is we have Satine. She's on her starship. And, you know, she's in kind of like a, what would you call it? Like a gallery or like like a relaxation, like a lounge well, almost. So, so she's traveling to the Republic to basically talk to the Republic about what happened and yes. try to get them off of Mandalore's back. Yes. Like to not intervene. And while this is happening, the most of this takes place at what I would call like a dinner party scene. Yeah. Where she's in this, you said a galley. Yeah. You know, where... There's all these dignitaries eating, and Obi-Wan is there, but his his apprentice is uh, on security duty elsewhere in the ship. Um, yes. And Obi-Wan keeps keeps going like, yes, I got to stay as close to the scene. And, and it gets like, you know, elbow to his elbow, like, yeah, why's that? Huh? 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 So let's talk about it. So uh, Satine has a, a good line here at the beginning that I think does describe, you know, Basically, her thought process, like you're saying, you know, she's so committed to peace. And basically, you know, the moment we committed to fighting, we've already lost. Yes. Basically, her, as soon as the battle starts, it doesn't matter what the outcome is because we've sacrificed our beliefs to essentially enter this war. Right. And so mm -hmm. that's just another moment of her kind of recommitting to her character. But then she has her not only her best line, maybe the mm -hmm. best line of the show. I don't, maybe ever. Wow. Maybe the best thing ever written in Star Wars. Wow. Obi-Wan walks in with Anakin and she introduces him to the dignitaries. And the way she does it is saying, oh, have you met the collection of half-truths and hyperboles known as Obi-Wan okay. Kenobi? Yes, you're Literally, right. That's a really good line. One that of is the killer. best things I've ever heard. Because it's, it's perfect. Because that's what that character is. Yes. Because that character is always working towards what they believe is the greater good, mm -hmm. even when they have to be lying and manipulative. Basically, you know, even though the ends, you know, don't outweigh the means... They're Obi okay pushing some, you know, bending some rules. Well, Obi-Wan, his most obvious trait he picked up from Qui-Gon is, I will never break the rules, but I will bend them out of shape quite yes, a bit. Yes, and Anakin's face when Satine says that is awesome. Well, it's, it's so, so good, especially for early Clone Wars. And it's a great shorthand because it says like, oh, Satine doesn't just know this guy. Yeah. She knows everything about him <laughs> and that's what comes up next so they leave the room anakin and obi-wan are walking through the halls and anakin basically just straight up ass so you and satine have a history 
And this is where Obi-Wan does give a little bit of the explanation. So I'm going to just kind of read this verbatim. Okay. So we had an extended mission together when I was younger. Master Gwygon and I spent a year on Mandalore protecting the Duchess from insurgents. They sent bounty hunters after us, always on the run. We were living hand to mouth, never sure what the next day would bring. A civil war killed most of her people, which is why she's so adverse to violence. She took on the task of building her world alone. And I couldn't stay with her because it would be problematic, right? Obviously, he'd have to leave the Jedi Order to do that. Right, and it's like, oh, yeah, no, if you, like, fell in love with a girl and married her, that would be wrong. Yeah. Very super duper, yeah. Yeah, super duper wrong, which is another great layer to this. And Ooh. then Obi-Wan has a fantastic line. This episode really has some good stuff. Mm-hmm. As Master Yoda says, a Jedi must not form attachments. Yes, but he normally leaves out the undercurrent of remorse. Yeah, like really, really well, good writing in this episode. Okay, this is a good moment just to say that like the concept that Obi Wan had a probably a completely profound and probably romantic, uh, you know, journey with uh, Satine, and I actually really like that we don't know how far it gets. Like, there's no indication of exactly how deep the relationship is because one of the missing pieces we have no idea how young they were yeah like you know this could be a 14 year old kids we don't know right um but it's a profound effect on obi-wan and to me this was this is the reason satine deserves to completely exist and be one of the most important characters in clone wars is because her mere existence and obi-wan's denial of their relationship in the end Absolutely, absolutely. And throughout these next couple episodes that Satine is in, you know, we'll get to see more of their past come up a little bit and yeah. more of sort of the way they currently feel about each other come up a little bit too. But it, what's it, what makes me feel so happy about it, and they sort of put a bow on it in uh, the end of the Clone Wars in Season 7, where, like, Anakin's trying to get a message out to Padme through Rex and Rex is trying to guard the door and then Obi-Wan's coming up and then eventually like they all get like, well, Rex, I worked on your helmet. Everything's fine. And then Obi-Wan's like, did you at least say, tell Padme I said hello? And it just broke the mold of like, because Satine exists, Obi-Wan's going like, I know what you have with Padme. I had that with Satine. But I know, Anakin, you will make the right call when the chips are down, just like I did. Yes. It is such a great way to explain the fact that Anakin and Padme are not good enough at hiding this relationship yeah. that Obi-Wan wouldn't have picked up on it, but why he would just actively ignore it. Yeah. Why he would just let it continue because he just has faith yeah. that like what he did, he'll choose the order yeah. over that relationship. And just to kind of add a little spice to this, there are, uh, shall we say, a, there is a precedent for the Jedi being able to have relationships. What they're not allowed to have are attachments. And those two things can be different. So, for example, there have been Jedis in the past who their species was going extinct, and so they were allowed to have families. They still were Jedi, still in the Order, still, you know, at the Temple most of the time, but they were allowed to essentially have, like, a second family. I I think it's just going back to the priestly monks that they are and the idea of, like, you and your connection to the Force and to a lesser degree the Order has to come first yes that has that dedication is oh, required sure. otherwise the slope is too quick to take you to dark places that you don't want to go well that's the general idea right is yeah. that those attachments lead to the dark side and that's what you know their yoda specifically is trying to avoid and so you have 
<laughs> these two characters who essentially went through something so similar with one another. Yes. And obviously come out the end of it in two very different ways. But that's not the point. That's not the story we're here to tell tonight. But it does make it very, very interesting, doesn't yeah, it? Yeah, and it and it's I think why Anakin has so much interest in the story is not just, just needling his old master of like, hey, so you had a girlfriend, huh? What's she like? Yeah. You know, there's that part of it, but I think there's also a thing of like, well, I think we get closer and closer, Anakin, like, well, you know how you feel about Satine. What if I felt about that like about like a senator? Like, that would be okay, right? Like, yeah, yeah. Like, he wants to be, I think there's a certain point where he wants to be honest because he's like, Obi-Wan would understand. And he would. The only problem is, Obi-Wan's still going to give you the same advice, which is like, ditch her. Mm-hmm. <laughs> because, yeah, absolutely. Because it's going to lead you to the dark side. And Obi-Wan is right. There was some really great content in Legends about, you know, like Obi-Wan being like, you know, I knew something was up, but I didn't really know, you know, how far it had gone. And, I thought that he would just get over it. You know, it was just being a young. It was like, you know, this is a good learning opportunity for him. I'll let it play out. And, you know, obviously we know how it ends, right? But that was, it's nice to see some of that work back into canon. And it's even better now because we're expanding upon Obi-Wan and his understanding of the situation because of we understand more about his own past experience. And it makes him more sympathetic and less oblivious looking absolutely because more what we're going to spend sure. is the time of again getting the, the barbs of how these two people have ended up having completely different modes of operation because yeah. during the dinner part dinner party it's just a lot of like obi-wan and satine bucking horns yeah. well meanwhile in the cargo bay the what they think is the real threat starts showing up and anakin and the clones are having to deal with it yes so to stick with satine we'll only touch on this and also to avoid some spoilers but basically there are some really cool droids that infiltrate the ship and we have no idea how and they're killing clones in the cargo area and Anakin's trying to investigate well Obi-Wan stays safe to keep Satine safe but as the spider these kind of spider-like droids do infiltrate the ship when the big ones are killed they have a whole bunch of little babies and so those little baby droids infiltrate the uh, dining room where everybody's at mm-hmm. and Obi-Wan realizes you know they're get, they get them all they kill them all they're able to take them all out and he captures one And he uses that capture droid to figure out how they got onto the ship. And he realizes that the only way they could have gotten onto the ship is if someone brought them. And so they start looking at, okay, who had access to bring these, you know, containers onto the ship? And so Obi-Wan takes the spider droid around to all the different members of yeah, he's her got delegation. Like a, this bell jar. And I yeah. love this because this is another another this is another case for Detective Obi-Wan. Because yes. this is totally a murder mystery like denouncement of like Absolutely. but the true murderer. <laughs> oh, it's so, so very good. And this is where we learn that unfortunately Senator Merrick, one of you know, a Mandalorian who is on um Satine's, you know, inner circle, mm-hmm. uh brought the droids onto the ship because he is working for Pre Vizsla. So in the hubbub of, you know, the spider droid escaping because he knocks it off of the tray that it's on, he captures Satine and takes her hostage. Mm-hmm. Now, Vizsla sends droids to essentially get Merrick and Satine off the ship. Mm-hmm. And, and it's just, it's great because, like I said, it's totally like the end of a murder mystery. The person's like, like, Wait, Senator Merrick, this proves that it's you. And then he's like, takes the gun out, grabs the girl, holds the gun point of like, you're never going to get me. I'm going to get away with this. Previsla's right. <laughs> it's great. It is. It really is great. And this is sort of where we have a, a romantic moment 
between Obi-Wan as a teen. This is where we sort of get a little bit more information about the backstory. And basically, I guess I should just read the lines here because I think that's probably the best way. So Obi-Wan basically said, or she basically says, Obi-Wan, I've loved you ever since you came to my aid all those years ago. And then he says, had you said the word, I would have left the Jedi Order. And so there, that yeah. tells us how serious how deep they were and and how how much they were sort of committed to each other. It, now, it, of course, we don't really know, but it's so interesting to hear Obi-Wan say that now as an adult, right? Because as a Padawan, we assume it was, right, when he was still with Gwygon, yep. right? To say that is one thing. But to say that after you know, I don't know, 20 more years in the order, full Jedi master on the council at this point, we assume, because that happened sometime in this gap, right? Yeah. So if that's the case, right, mm -hmm. and he still says, yes, I would have left the order if you would have asked me to. Yeah. Like, that is being so transparently honest and so true and so not traditional Obi-Wan that I <laughs> absolutely love it. Well, and again that level of commitment and how deep he was in and how he still came out the other side, you know, right again, just continues to deepen. I think, like I said, this most structurally sound part of the clone wars, which is just why Obi-Wan and Anakin can be so connected, but also, you know, this romance is happening under Obi-Wan's nose. Yes. It's not because it's happening under his nose. He knows he's just letting it go on because he thinks it'll work itself out. Absolutely. Now, uh, here we get kind of they're they're trapped on the bridge of the ship, and basically Satine takes Merrick's blaster, and there's sort of this uh, traditional three-way standoff where uh, Satine has a blaster, Obi-Wan has a weapon, but they're kind of stuck because, uh, you know, Satine won't shoot because she's a fat pacifist. Yep. Obi-Wan won't kill him because Satine would disapprove. <laughs> and Merrick isn't getting away because he'll blow them up. The ship's been wired to blow. And if they let him go, he'll blow them up. So he knows they won't let him go. And so we have this great just tense standoff. Yeah. And it's like Merrick is like, you won't kill me, but kill me. Like he he knows what the outcome's going to be. But he's sort of in like a Joker situation of just like, I just want to watch the world burn. And as all of this is happening, like, you know, everyone's tense. No one's making a move. All of a sudden, Merrick gets stabbed through the back by Anakin. Yes. In a amazing moment that once again is perfect because as it happens, Obi-Wan just looks at him and goes, oh, Anakin. And he's <laughs> like, what? He was about to blow up the ship. I, I couldn't saying, have just taken his arm off. It, it It's amazing that like, again, how offhanded it is and how it feels correct for it to be an offhanded murder. Oh my gosh. Yes, yes, yes. The way he just says... What? Oh, Anakin. Like, <laughs> it is literally one of my favorite moments. And it's, an, it's you know, just another moment that Satine gets to be a part of, which is great. You know, we're talking a lot about Obi-Wan, and obviously this is the Satine topic, but they go hand in hand. You know, Satine mm -hmm. is a character that is popular and is talked about because of Obi-Wan. Her yes. character doesn't get that much time to shine. She is an interesting character, leader of an interesting people, very cool design. Like, don't get me wrong. Cool yeah. character. But she doesn't have a lot of time to shine, and it's her relationship with Obi-Wan that makes her so interesting. Agreed. So um, they, you know, after all this, they're sort of backtracing, like, how, you know, where where the crates came from, kind of dealing with the political fallout that their senator 
was part of Death Watch. Yes, yes, yes. Um, it's just a mess. And again, it's coming back down to the same line, which is Satine's like, well, this is an internal matter. We're going to figure out how to do it. And Obi-Wan's like, your senator was a traitor. You need to let the Republic take take this. And she's like, no. And that's sort of, you know. That's sort of where we end. There's a nice little quip about Obi-Wan's beard. And uh, that's kind of the end of that episode. You're right. And then we get into the final episode of this first three-episode arc, Mm -hmm. the episode titled Duchess of Mandalore. Yes. Wait a minute. I didn't skip one. No, I didn't skip one. No, no. It's just this trilogy. Okay, right on. Uh, So this episode opens up with Satine testifying in front of the Republic Senate on Coruscant. Um, Now, things don't go her way because there is a message played from one of Satine's, um, you know, higher ups. And basically, it is a doctored message right before the man was killed, basically Mm -hmm. saying we need the Republic to come and help us. And Satine is trying desperately to fight against that, even though it seems more and more like she does need their help. Now, as she's leaving the Senate, Satine and Obi-Wan have an argument on the landing pad. He wants her to stay. But they both believe each other foolish, right? You know, he wants her to stay because he believes rushing back to Mandalore is not safe. She considers him foolish for wanting to stay out of it. Now, as soon as she leaves, Satine's speeder is sabotaged. It gets, you know, uh, it basically explodes one of the engines. Mm -hmm. And thanks to some heroics from her royal guards, they're able to get her off onto a rooftop in a really, really cool scene. It is. But then the speeder crashes into the building. And, of course, all the investigators are going, oh, it was an accident. Nothing to worry about. It's fine. It's fine. But as Satine comes to realize, someone very powerful wants her dead. So because of the attempted uh, you know, accident, as they're calling it, this helps the cause of occupying Mandalore. Because basically they're saying, well, if someone did want you dead, then that's more of a reason for us to interfere. And mm-hmm. so this is just, you know, working against her, essentially. Now, Satine meets with an informant, but he is shot dead by Death Watch. So Satine is not afraid to get out there and get her hands dirty and get into the mess, just like we see Padme do, just like we see Sabe do, just like we see Leia do, and all of these other characters that we get later on, right? So, you know, she is getting out there. She's kind of, as it is, putting her money where her mouth is and, you know, Mm -hmm. working on trying to solve this problem. And yet again, all three of these episodes are all sort of around these mystery tropes yes um because we're trying to figure out like where the plot begins and ends because it seems like just there's this noose around Satine the whole time yes and so as she's on the run because at this point she's been identified uh they believe that she's the one who shot this man because it was actually a death watch sniper from afar Mm-hmm. And so she's on the run. She's on the Coruscant streets just trying to survive. But from her informant who was just murdered, she got a disc that is the actual full recording that they didn't play at the Senate. And so her job is to try and get this recording into the Senate before she gets arrested or killed and the recording gets destroyed. So she meets Obi-Wan, sort of they have this little cloaked meeting in a public square and she gives him the disc. Now, There is, you know, throughout the night, more assassination attempts on her life, but she decides to surrender to give Obi-Wan a chance to sneak in the Senate and give the recording to Padme so she can present it as evidence. And this is, in fact, what happens. They give the disc to Padme. She presents it to the Senate. Why did I say Padme like that? I had an extra E. Padme. 
Padme. Padme. So it's that little accent on yeah, the Yeah, it must be. So they gave the disc to Padme, and she presents it. And we realize that, in fact, they are saying they do not want Republic help. They can handle it on their own. We, we need to stand alone on our own two feet, just like Satine said. It still seems like a bit of a risk, Satine. You still may want some help. But hey, she's trying it her way. More power to her. Yeah, and so we're sort of left with the fact of seeing the, again, alliance. It's kind of nice to see. Uh, we only get to see this a few times. Uh, Rio Chuchi and uh, Satine are like two of the only people that get to hang out with Padme and going like, isn't democracy and peace great? Wouldn't it be great if we were doing that instead of war? And Padme going like, yeah, but my boyfriend, man, he is real good at war. <laughs> <laughs> Talk about playing both sides. Yeah. Uh, <laughs> Okay, so that is the end of the first arc of Duchess Satine. Now, she does get about four more main episodes here, four mm -hmm. more episodes that center around her, and we are going to talk about those. But before we move on, Mac, anything else you want to add about this first three-episode arc of The Duchess? Well, I think the sad thing that came out of after all these kind of had gotten out and people were still dealing with, like, the Mandalores are broken was the one universal thing was, man, Death Watch is pretty cool. Which, I didn't really harbor that opinion, because yes, they're wearing the armor I want all the Mandalorians to wear, but they're monsters. They're just really bad people. Yeah, they're literally murdering their own kin. Just to get, just to, they're terrorists. They have a political yeah. agenda, and I mean, especially at the time these episodes were made, I mean, the charge in the water of what was going on in geopolitics made it feel very obvious that these are like insurgents. These are dirty tactics. These, these are the people who are using IEDs and stuff, right? Mm -hmm. These are, they're fighting an asymmetrical war and they're doing it real dirty. Cause that's kind of how you do it. Yeah. Um, and, and like you said, and, and they're willing to go to pretty much any length to try and, retake Mandalore and get it off this path and convince yeah. people that Satine is a child and a fool and no yeah. one should follow her. So as the war goes on, Death Watch keeps up with propaganda and with schemes to essentially help them gain favor of citizens and help them gain more political and mil military power because they are still working hand in hand with Dooku. So now we are going to jump over to Season 3, Episode 5, titled Corruption. Now, this is an episode, a two-episode arc, that involves Satine, Ahsoka, and a little bit of Padme. Mm -hmm. So Padme arrives on Mandalore to help negotiate trade because Mandalorians need food. They're running low on supplies and food. They can't grow it on their own planet, so they have to import it. And yeah. the war is stretching everything thin. Trade routes are closed or taken over by the Republic entirely. Um, obviously, because exports aren't coming out of like half the galaxy that's separatists, well, those aren't going to any other planets. And the stuff that are being produced on Republic Wars are being dealt with by, you know, war demands. Yes, they're, and anything they have to spare, they're giving to people that are on their side, which Mandalore still isn't. Right. Right. Okay. So all of that. Now, they discuss how they want to be neutral and not in the war, but there's only so much they can do to keep avoiding that because they end up with a clinic full of sick children, and no one knows why. Now, as audience members, we know why, because we yeah. realize that crime lords are importing in this case, bottled beverages, mm -hmm. and they're mixing it with a chemical to essentially spread it out more, make it last longer. They're 
watering it down. Mm-hmm. But instead of just using, you know, water to water it down, they use some sort of chemical. Yeah. And so all of these children start to get sick. And so this causes Satine to go and investigate the school. And so this is where they start to uncover a bunch of corruption mm-hmm. in the school system and in just sort of the general nature of Mandalore's politics. So Satine does the inspection and they discover that the school um, is obviously having all sorts of issues. So she asks Padme for a Jedi to go undercover in the Academy Mm -hmm. to help them sort of root out this corruption. Now, do you have a Jedi around who's like about age appropriate? That'd be really beneficial. Yeah. Oh, Ahsoka. It it would be real beneficial. So in the next episode titled Academy, Mm -hmm. this is where things really start to ramp up now with Ahsoka. Yeah. Um, So what happens here? uh, We should also point out that they do successfully stop the importing of, you know, drinks. They find out that the administrator of the school was basically accepting a kickback to bring these drinks in from a cheaper source, yeah. getting to keep some of the money. So it's 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 a little know. bit of it's touching on something that Clone Wars doesn't spend much time with, but like war profiteering. Yes, absolutely. Essentially so, times are tough and I can make money at it. Yeah. So the reason I point that out is every episode we are seeing more and more of Mandalore mm-hmm. become corrupt. So like in yeah. the first arc we saw Merrick, right? We saw Pre Vizsla. These were people who were loyal Mandalorians and are now fighting for separatists, fighting for Death Watch, right? Then in this episode, we see this school administrator guy, this guy who is really high up and is in a position of power, using mm-hmm. it to take advantage of the system and basically make children sick, right? Yeah. So it's this whole thing. And then well, he, when he's captured, he is more than willing to turn on all his you know, co-conspirators instantly. Well, because I think it's also – it's sort of implied that while he's apathetic about the children, he – that wasn't his goal. His goal was just to make profit. Oh, like, for sure. He wasn't trying to hurt anybody. Yeah. It was an accident, right? Yeah. So in the next episode, Anakin and Ahsoka arrive to meet Satine and Prime Minister Almec. Now, Anakin can't stay because resources are stretched too thin for the war, so he leaves his very capable Padawan Ahsoka. And Ahsoka starts giving lectures about corruption at the Academy, right? Mm-hmm. Now... At the academy, she sort of befriends four young students. Yes. One of whom, Corgi, Corky, Corgi, Corky, 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 yeah. Uh, it's a great name. Uh, sure. You know, is the uh, niece of Satine. Yes. Now, I have a question about this. Yes. Does that mean this is Bo-Katan's son, or does she have another she, sibling? It, so, okay, we're going to pause here for one second. Yeah. So, Bo-Katan, who has not been introduced yet. Right. Is by the end of her story, we find out Bo-Katan is Satine's sister. Yes. I'm pretty confident she was not written as that at the beginning. Yeah. <laughs> I think, because I'm trying to remember, does Bo-Katan even exist? Does she show up in the first arc just even no, as a background character? Not that I've not okay. that I've ever noticed. Okay. Now I didn't go and look her up specifically for this, but that's I a diff- think that's a story her first time is in the Maul arc, which we'll talk about soon. Right. So we have this character who is going to be Satine's sister. And it's like, yeah, do those two sisters have a brother or another sister who Corky comes from? Yeah. Is it an honorary position? Like, you know, ward of the state or something? I don't know. Yeah, we don't know. But does like to talk about my auntie Satine. (laughs) (laughs) Yes, he's very close with her, clearly. 
Very, yeah. very close. And so basically the children are inspired by Ahsoka. So they go down to the food warehouses because there's a food shortage on Mandalore. And they're looking to see if there actually is a shortage. Mm -hmm. And they see a shady deal going down. And so they go to confide in Satine. You know, they're able to record a little bit on a hollow. And they go and confide in Satine. But she says she'll handle it. And they don't believe her. They believe that she kind of just blew them off, rushed them out. So they go and confide in Almec instead. Mm -hmm. Now, they tell Almec everything that's going on. And he says, oh, okay, meet me tonight in the town square. Bring the recording and everybody who knows about it. Not suspicious at all, but hey, they're kids. I don't no, blame no, them. No, for no, not no. We need, we need to put all the information together. Yeah. As a responsible, helpful adult, you need How to. How could you think someone in government is corrupt? Could not you, this government. That's crazy. Especially after you've seen food shortages and beverage poisoning and a senator who freaking tried to ice your head of state. No, no, no. <laughs> Everyone's trustworthy. Yes. Now. <laughs> <laughs> During class that next day, Ahsoka can tell that Corky is distracted and she asks him what's up. And I love how he just easily reveals like he's so trusting, like, oh, yeah, we did what you said. We went, we broke into a government building and spied on some people. And Ahsoka's kind of like, are you sure you saw what you saw? <laughs> are you positive? Because it seems a little far fetched. Mm -hmm. But yet that is what happens. So even though Ahsoka also sort of blows them off. They go and they uh, meet Almec, or I should say, they attempt to meet Almec. Yeah. And Almec essentially enough, betrays them. It's a trap. Yes. And they see the same uh, Mandalorian guards there who they saw at the building the night before, along with this, you know, mysterious cloaked figure. And so they're about to be arrested for treason, as they're told. Until Ahsoka shows up to save them. Oh, and yeah. by the way, Ahsoka doesn't have her lightsaber because they don't allow outsiders to carry weapons on Mandalore. Which has been, which was established earlier too. Obi-Wan yes. didn't have his lightsaber when he was on planet, just like when he's on the moon and stuff. Yes, 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 yes. Well, he does have it on the moon. He does have it. On the moon, he does. Right, right. But it's only because of those act. They even say in the last episode that it's because of the Obi Wan's actions that they're they have this new policy. Oh, that it's includes like, lightsabers. Yeah, it's like literally they have a sign with Obi Wan up and say, <laughs> "See." No, no, no. You could see Satine passing the Obi Wan Kenobi Act. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, Ahsoka does leave her lightsaber with Anakin, by the way. And so after uh, she fights off, you know, she says, oh, Almec betrayed you. He must be the one involved. And she uses her cool, you know, government issued gadget to uh, unscramble a face in a hologram, which I thought was awesome. Yeah, absolutely love that. It's really, really cool. Uh, love seeing kind of like the FBI equivalent of a little CSI. Uh, yeah. Mandalore. Yeah, it's fun. So um, I really, really like that. And so then they go to check on Satine because they told her about it, too. And they find all of her royal guards dead and Satine missing. Yes. So let me see here. Let me get back to my notes. So we know Satine is taken by all Mech's goons. And basically, they come up with a plan to rescue Satine. Mm -hmm. So Ahsoka goes to, to all rescue Mech my auntie. Because they know all Mech is obviously involved in Corrupt. this now. And so she basically goes to him and says, hey, I captured a couple people you're after. I believe they're involved in a conspiracy against you. And she takes them, the four kids. Mm -hmm. And so Almec takes them all to a prison. And basically, after the children are put away, Ahsoka tries to uncover if Satine is in here, too. 
Almec won't say. So after Almec goes away, she uses a Jedi mind trick on a guard. Well, not yet, but she goes in and yeah. basically tells a guard she needs to interrogate the prisoners. So she goes in, she finds the children, and she basically says, follow my lead. Goes, continues to try and find Satine. This is where she uses a Jedi mind trick on a guard and gets him to take her to sort of the, um, what I would consider the solitary confinement of this Mandalore prison. Yeah, the basically, more secure way. Yeah, basically a more secure cell where Satine is sort of like frozen in a, well, once again, kind of like a tractor beam type of thing, energy field. Something akin to that thing Dooku used on Obi-Wan back on Geonosis. Very similar, except Whatever. it seems like this one knocks strength field? I don't know. Yeah, it's, I don't know. We don't know. Um, so, this is where we find Satine. Ahsoka brings her down. And then we learn that it is a trap. That all of the Mandalorian guards have been taught to reject Jedi mind tricks. And in fact, Almec planned this whole thing to see if Ahsoka was, you know, on one side versus the other. She gets captured because they have this really cool auto cannon that shoots stun yes. rings. Really, really cool. Feels like something out of, I don't even know what, Metal Gear maybe? Really <laughs> like it. Oh, you okay? That was red. It's all right. It's all right. Uh, yeah, Metal Gear, something, yeah. something akin to that. Yeah. Okay. So, after all this happens, basically, they... Um, bring the uh the children up you know they're gonna kind of essentially just keep everybody in prison saying these are the ones who are you know causing all the mayhem essentially they're the they're the troublemakers and essentially gonna try and place all the blame on them but then eventually once the children are brought up to join into this uh ahsoka fights her way out you know grabs a shield off a guard uses it to defend herself from the stun cannons and between her and the students and Satine, they are essentially able to get this shock collar onto Almec, which then electrocutes him, which basically makes him order the guards to stop fighting. And that is how Ahsoka and Satine take back over control of Mandalore from an attempted coup. Right. And Almec gets, goes to freaking jail. And Almec goes to freaking jail. That's exactly right. Which... The right place for him. And if I remember correctly, the only other thing that I really like at the end of this episode, because each of these episodes has a really good ending. And I like Satine. She kind of reveals that she invited the Jedi because she knew something was up. She was like, uh, you know, I'm not really sure about all this. So when I asked you to go to the Academy, there were some underlying reasons. We can't ask the, the Republic for support. It's impossible. But like one Jedi is okay. That's. Just I'll a little sprinkling of support. Uh, listen, I believe in pacifism, which is why you can beat people up as long as I don't have to. <laughs> the, well, she'll what, still defend herself. Real quick. Do you see what I'm saying, though? Like, yeah. Satine starts off in this position of, in whatever precursor war yeah. was going on that she needed protection from Obi-Wan, she eventually puts the planet back together, rises in political power, gets the new Mandalorians to become the ruling kind of winds of the planet that they are pacifists that they are trying to give up their warrior ways she essentially either exiles or just pushes to the margin all the warriors mm -hmm. who are of the watch and they sort of go away from mandalore and she has this great position of strength and then the clone wars comes and it just corrupts everything she's put together over however many decades. Yeah. What's really interesting about this, essentially, like you say, like Satine keeps needing to make 
trade-offs, essentially, right? Compromises, yes. And the way I look at it is it's just a really good bit of symbolism for what war does in general, right? Mm-hmm. Like, you know, you can say you have this moral system or this this code or this belief, but as soon as things become tense or things don't go the way you want, you kind of realize what you actually believe and what you actually have to stick to. And I'm not saying Satine is fake or lying about being, no, uh, you know, a peacemonger. But realistically, she is trying to do whatever she can to save her people. And the more things get out of her control, the more she is willing to bend the rules. Like she literally just was in jail, had an attempted coup against her. Yes. Like easily could have been executed. Correct. And I think that that, would have been the end of it. And I think the thing about it that is what I think sort of, to me, the, the stone we didn't over overturn in star Wars was it would have been nice to see a actual space Switzerland. Like, a country that is very careful playing with both sides while keeping them both at bay and navigating very complex waters to stay neutral, to Mm -hmm. stay out of it. Because, essentially, the second Death Watch has the backing of Dooku. They're doomed. They're doomed to be drug into the undertow of the war. And what we see next for Mandalore is we're skipping ahead a little bit in time because we get to Maul has been reestablished. He is starting to put together his plan of how he's going to get his revenge. And he's basically figured out that I'm going to pull the criminal underworld. That's how I'll control it. It's the, the largest army unclaimed by both sides of the war. Absolutely. So now we are moving on to kind of the final bit of Satine uh, stuff. And that is season five, episode 15 and 16, Shades of Reason and The Lawless. Now, we should probably just start out by saying that um, these are two very important episodes for a lot of stuff as far as it relates to the Clone Wars and as far as it relates to Mandalore and as far as it relates to the Mandalorian people and Satine and Obi-Wan and Maul. These are very important episodes to Star Wars as a whole. Not just the Clone Wars, yeah, because, not just these characters. Because this is, we're at the end of season five, which was the original last season of Clone Wars. <laughs> That's very true. And for a lot of people, the best season, I think. Yeah, and it's where they're closing down a lot of doors. They're, they're trying to finish what they want to say. And so for Maul, they tie his story to Mandalore by him realizing that, okay, I'm going to get all these underworld people together. I'm going to build this thing called the Shadow Collective. But the Shadow Collective needs a home base. Yes. And he aligns himself with Death Watch. Yes. He's been working with Pre Vizsla to go around with the Death Watch and basically capture the pikes, capture the huts, get all of these you know criminal underworlds to play to his tunes. Yes. And Vizsla's like, great, when do we go back home and take over the planet? Because that, that's what I signed up for. <laughs> and he's got this new kind of trusted lieutenant, Bo-Katan. Yes. And Bo is sort of like always the one who's like, yeah, Pre Vizsla, I agree with you. You, We need to take Mandalore. Do we need these two horny guys to do it? Because I'm not sure about that. Yeah, but you're the boss. She's definitely not on board with Maul helping them. She thinks they will betray them. But it's funny. We get another scene right after where Savage is going, they'll betray us. Yes. So no, they both know not to trust each other. But essentially the plan that Maul comes up with here, because Vizsla says, we need the people. We can't rule Mandalore without the support from the people. We can't, it can't just be a force. Again, takeover. showing that pre Vizsla has got, two great things going one he wants to win this politically yes so he's a political activist he wants them to believe in the warrior cause and the conquering people of mandalore again also 
He's a very insecure person who needs the validation of the people before he can feel comfortable ruling over them yeah. in a despotic uh, well, world. Well, those culture. are, I mean, he believes in traditional Mandalorian rules, so strongest rules. You know, if someone can beat him, they rule. If he can beat the other person, a he warrior, rules. You a know, warrior race. Yeah, and he also believes that he is representing his people. You know, he yes. wants power, but it's because he wants to make Mandalorian to his own vision. He's not against his people. He's not trying to enslave his people or, you know, he wants do to anything to detrimental. Yeah, he wants to make them better. And, of course, that's what every villain wants to do, right? He's justified in his own head. That's right. So, basically, they decide that they are going to attack strategic points all around the central city of Mandalore. Mm-hmm. And Satine won't be able to handle it, and the growing pressure of it will basically cause the people to revolt. And then, when things seem bad, Death Watch will come in and save the day, looking like heroes, cleaning these, up their own mess. And there's these great things of these these people we've seen sort of knocked down. There's, like, the one... Uh, uh, the now de facto leader of the black sun who like gets captured like three times in these vignettes of like, like them doing these staged arrests. Yeah. It's very, very good. There's all this great stuff. So, um, we see Satine, you know, it starts out, she's informed about a ship a, attack at the shipping docks. And this is, we see the pikes and we see some of black sun come out here and attack. And so we get into all these montages, of all of these attacks happening all over the city. And Death and then, Watch swooping in to yes, save the so day. So Satine is giving a speech to her people about, you know, staying vigilant and staying safe. And we will get through this together. And then Death Watch shows up and Vizsla is basically like, yeah, nah, this isn't going to work. Listen here, Saltine, get out of the way. I've actually saved the planet. Look at these people I've captured. That's right. And so Death Watch comes up to the throne room, and there's this really great moment where one of Satine's advisors is like, should we stop them? And she goes, how can we? They have the support of the people now. Yeah. And she understands what ruling Mandalore means. Even though he's trying to do it in a totally different way, she understands what the people want. Right? She believes in democracy. Yeah. and She's so, mad it's corrupted right now, but she understands that... He has the will. Exactly. So Vizsla comes to the tower and basically says, listen to those people. Your time is over. It's time for a change. Things aren't working out. It's time for the new, new Mandalorians. Exactly. So Vizsla goes out and addresses the crowd, says Satine and all of her court has basically run away in hiding and pre-Vizsla will keep you safe. But what we actually learn is he is in prison, Satine, once again in jail, this time right next to Almec. Which is great. It is great. But that we will talk about in the next episode, which is right now. (laughs) Season 5, episode 16, The Lawless. Now, just want to say one more time, one more chance, spoilers. This is one of the most monumental episodes of all of the Clone Wars, I would say. Oh my god, yes. So it is... Admittedly, we're not going to talk about the half that's the, like, most crazy in it. Uh, I know, I know. Uh, So we're going to talk about, once again... Another episode of The Clone Wars that involves Satine, and this episode takes place right after the last one, so uh, Satine is in jail, and mm-hmm. basically there is, uh, we open up, Satine is, you know, in jail, captured. Now, Corky comes in along with his brother and, and breaks her out, assisted by Bo. Mm-hmm. Now, Satine manages to get out of the prison temporarily, just oh, wait, enough wait, wait. time. Hmm. Yeah, Bo's working with him, we missed one piece. What's that? Who's actually really Mandalore right now. Oh, that's true. That's true. That's true. We're so, gonna, so yeah. at the end of the last episode, this isn't necessarily super important to Satine, but it explains why Bo Katan's here, which is Maul shows up. He's like, "Good, you've done all the work, and now, now I, now I can rule Mandalore." And 
freaking Previsal's like, what do you mean, rule Mandalore? I rule Mandalore. He's like, oh, do you? Yes, you can go make all your speeches and rule all your people, but I will be pulling all of the strings. And Previsal's like, that doesn't work for me. And Maul, sensing where this is going, goes, well, you your people believe in trial by combat, right? So come at me. That's right. That's right. We totally skipped over and, that. And well, because it's not super important. To, Satine's yeah. in jail. I, my while, notes are all Satine related. Okay. Satine's in jail by this point. But the whole yeah. thing is, this is Pre Vizsla and Maul fight. It's a really good fight. Pre Vizsla has it for the first half. Yeah. Like he's, he's like, beating a freaking Sith Lord. Yeah. It's crazy. Yeah. But as he starts getting winded and some of his equipment keeps getting damaged. Yeah. Maul has the endurance, gets the upper hand kills him just cuts his head off picks up his light sword and basically declares from the death watch traditional perspective yes he is the mandalore yes and literally it's such a great moment when maul and savage come into the throne room because they are like maul's like i challenge you in mandalorian's tradition may the strongest rule mandalore and Vizsla's like oh crap like you can see the look on his face well because there's a certain amount of like Ah, oh, crap. It's not a people. It's a creed. Damn it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And he literally is sort of in the moment forced to go along with it. Well, his his value systems don't allow him any other choice but to try to best this guy. Right. And so they fight with and eventually ending up with Maul dead. And this splits Death Watch. And this is now the first shift in Death Watch. Yeah, right. Everyone starts putting their knees down to because he won. Right. Yeah. He's the Mandalore. Yeah. Maul rules over us. And yeah. Bo-Katan and a bunch of other people are like, no, I was a little pre Vizsla. Not, not yeah. you, you. Basically, an not, outsider will never rule Not the Mandalore. freaky half-robot horn-haired guy. No. We, exactly. Not going to follow you. And that's how we get to Bo-Katan, yes. you know, doing a, a face turn here and becoming, you know, getting with Corgi, saving her sister, and trying to make Mandalore a better place. Good point. Now, it isn't confirmed until the end of the episode, but it is implied here that Bo and Satine have a relationship. And then at the end of the episode, Obi-Wan confirms it for us that she is Satine's sister. Yeah, because we break out Satine and then the whole goal is try to try and how can we save Mandalore? How can we make it work? Yes. So at this point, Satine, thanks to the help once again of Bo and Corgi and everybody else, is broken out of prison temporarily just enough time to get a message out to Obi-Wan. Yes, because Olmec's working against her because Olmec's been drafted as the prime minister. He is the face so that people yeah. don't know that freaking Darth Maul is running the planet. Yeah, yeah. I don't know if that, that may happen right after this. Well, there's the But gr- either way. Yeah, yeah there's the great moment of just Maul walking past the teens thinking of like, oh, it's you. Anyway, I'm not here for you. Moving right <laughs> past. Like, and I love how he's like, uh, oh, you know, all the other people have been moved on. The only person left here is Olmec and he's just as corrupt as you. And Maul Is goes, he? Oh, okay then. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. It's yeah, really It's basically good. Satine's downplaying of Olmec is like his resume to Maul. <laughs> and he loves it. He eats it right up. So the message does get its make its way to the Jedi Council, and they call Obi-Wan in to tell him about it. And I just want to point out here that the Jedi are totally cool letting innocent people be massacred and enslaved an entire planet by a crime syndicate. Because of politics. Well, do remember. And just showing no... how messed up the Jedi are at this point. But also remember that it is a completely, it's it's legal. It, it What I mean by but, that is, is like, here's the thing. Yeah. Remember in our own world, 
We deal with this all the time. Mm -hmm. Hey, I hear about Myanmar. It's really bad. Or I hear about, you know, Darfur. Like, I hear about all these terrible places. Yeah. But do you really want to send our commandos to annex that country? But the the Jedi are not the same as any. We could not draw an analogy to the Jedi of any branch of military we have. I would argue we can because they've already been corrupted into being the generals and commanders. Well, right. That's what I'm saying. That's the point. Yeah. yeah, That's the point. What I'm saying is. This is showing how they are no longer true to the Jedi Order and the ideals of the Jedi Order so right. much as they That's have a, become yeah. politicians. They have become, the what would you call them, the, the Joint Chief Staff, if you will, of yeah. the Republic. And it just shows how Obi-Wan's like, but this is wrong. Like, I think you're right. I'm saying, like, yeah, this that's is the exactly corruption. What I'm saying. Yeah. This is the corruption. But I'm trying to say that the Jedi have their reason to stand on it because they have become the Grand Army of the Republic. Right. They are no longer these impartial monks. They are political actors now. Exactly. Yes. Ex- literally exactly. Yes, you get it. Okay, perfect. Yeah. So, I mean, come on. Like, how do you not want to root against these guys? They suck. The Jedi suck. Oh, well, but but that's <laughs> like, well, but what I'm trying suck. to say is what makes their fall so good and makes yeah. the last Jedi when we dress down the Jedi or yeah. of their history as failure is great is because from a certain point of view, you can see all the steps they took, why mm-hmm. it took, you know, degrees of heat before the frog boiled of why the Jedi don't see the moral conflict that are more outside characters like Obi-Wan and Anakin go how can you not see what you're becoming? <laughs> Absolutely. It's great. Absolutely. And so to have more of that sprinkled in here is just awesome because it's Kiati Mundi yeah, and it's Obi-Wan and it's great. And it's just, they're just like, well, it's a neutral system. I guess we can't do anything. Yeah, no, matter's closed. Everyone's like, are you serious? Yeah, literally. <laughs> that's my girlfriend great. there. I, I mean, uh, that's the Duchess of a free planet. It, not Think my, of the people. The people. Yeah, that's it. So not Obi-Wan, my old flame. No, Obi Wan goes off on his own, borrowing a junker ship from a friend of Anakin's, which is just hysterical. Oh, the Twilight! Absolutely it was so cool to it. see that after like four seasons of not seeing, three seasons of not seeing it. Yeah, I absolutely love it. And Obi Wan shows up in a Mandalorian disguise, and they have this great little line. And his first line is, "I do my own bidding," because Satine is like, "Oh, here to do your master's bidding again." And that's Obi Wan's line. I love that because literally he's here in this moment essentially in defiance of the Jedi Council. Yes. He is basically pulling a Gwygon here. Yes. And so the fact that that's his line, I do my own bidding, one, Obi-Wan, all right, you're talking a big game, buddy, but we know it's not true. Two, <laughs> I just love it. I and she love can see James Arnold it. Taylor here, yeah. just like I do every day. He's amazing. And this is just peak Obi-Wan. I absolutely love it. But Most course, badass thing Obi-Wan has ever said. Um. But of course, this is where things go sideways because Death Watch figures out what's going on. Yeah, so once again, they sort of escape. They make it back to the ship, but then Maul and Savage show up and the ship is shot down. And that's the end of the Twilight. Yeah, unfortunately, the last time we will ever, ever see it. And so now the ship is shot down. Uh, Obi-Wan manages to get them out, but he's never used a jetpack before, so they sort of fall to the ground. Yeah. And as he's sort of stumbling, getting up, Maul comes walking out of the smoke, and his line, I think, I didn't write this down, but he's like, literally, he's like, I can't be. It's like, I can't catch up. Kenobi. 
<laughs> yes, and it's great. And so Kenobi essentially immediately gets knocked out, and they wake up in the throne room. Yes. And basically Kenobi is there sort of being like held down, kind of like captured, and Maul and Satine are on the throne. And basically Maul Stark's choking Satine with the Force and is sort of going on this monologue. The whole time she's like floating in the air being choked out. And he's going on about, you know, how you took everything from me and how all this time I've never thought about, you know, how I could get revenge, how I could make, you know, how I could do to you what you did to me and make you feel that pain. And, you know, I never intended to kill you, but now I have something so much better. And so essentially what's happening here is Obi-Wan is being forced to watch Satine get choked to death. And then after that goes on for a minute... Maul basically pulls her forward with the force and cuts her, well, stabs her stabs right her. through the, the stomach. Yes. And as she falls to the ground, Obi-Wan catches her, and they do have one last little exchange where um, basically the line is, remember, my dear Obi-Wan, I loved you always, I always will. Yeah. And so, you know, we're getting that closure there. Not only one, I mean, this is an incredibly powerful moment. But the fact that since we're losing this character here as we get closer to the end of the war, you know, we kind of know this has to happen or assume this is going to happen at some point. Um, It gives us that confirmation kind of about not only this isn't just a thing in the past. This isn't just history with them. This is something that is still very much real and very much alive, at least from her side. It's it's pretty much finally the the reverse of what. Obi-Wan said earlier, you know, I would have left the order for you. This is the, this is the, I love you. I know this is the, the response to yeah. that. Finally, her, her saying her side of it of like, yeah, I mean, of course I, I, I couldn't ask that of that you because that's who you are, but I love the pieces out of you. That's yeah. that was always there. Yeah. And then greatly Maul's just like, Hmm. Yeah. That probably hurts a lot. Why don't you go sit in a jail cell and rot and just have nothing to think about, but the fact that you're defeated and that I killed your girlfriend. Yes, absolutely. Absolutely. And in a way that I think is great. Also, Maul sells this in a way that I really enjoyed of it doesn't feel like Saturday morning cartoon villain villain where it's like, and now I will put you in easily escapable jail cell that you so that you can get away and then cause me trouble later. Like Maul really, really wants to lick the tears off of Obi-Wan's face. He really wants him to suffer. Absolutely. Absolutely. Now, normally, this is where the episode would end, because this is basically all of Satine's story. She's dead now. Right. right? Unfortunately, never to come back again. She did not get cut in half, so she is dead for good. Anything's possible, but... (laughs) Yeah. Uh, But I think it is worth going a little bit further, just for a few ancillary details. Sure. One... Bo-Katan breaks Obi-Wan out of prison. He uses a jetpack for the first time, which is really cool. Yes. And he does confirm that she is, in fact, a teen sister. Yes. My only complaint about this episode, and maybe it's a purposeful choice, maybe it's not, but after she dies, we should have seen Obi-Wan dealing with a temptation of the dark side. He immediately mm. is, like, happy and making quips again as soon as he's broken out of jail. Like, there is no grief after that one moment. And that bothers me a little bit, I think. There's a piece of me that says that could be on purpose of just showing how Obi-Wan is not the man we saw fight Maul and Naboo. Mm -hmm. He's grown a lot. He's not Anakin either. And and, and I think it's just one of those things of like, this pains him deeply. Yeah. But he's a good Jedi. 
He and can see, compartmentalize that's this. That's what I'm wondering. Yeah. Is that what it is, or is it really just more of like I guess a... the thing is, as shown, it has to be that, because he just goes back to making quips and stuff, and even though he's definitely emotionally scarred. Right. So... Obviously, he has to have some support mechanism to do that. I understand what you're saying of like there would have been it would have been nice to see him in the jail cell, like legs crossed, meditating and trying to find traction on how he works through this. Yeah. But the problem is all of this happens in one episode. If we had more time, we yeah. probably would I mean, got, really half an episode because, you know, yeah, what, know what I mean is like like the the. Obi-Wan showing up and Satine being dead all happens real fast. Right, 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 right. And understandably so. So, like, if this had a novelization, I think there's a whole scene of him in a jail cell processing this that is a nice, great, slow thing for not a kid's cartoon show to show us. Especially in its last season where it has an amazing action beat where the Emperor shows up and basically deals with Maul. And that's why why Bo-Katan and stuff can start trying to put Mandalore together because... Basically, like, Maul is chased off planet barely yes. barely alive. We do see that when Satine dies, it cuts to Coruscant, and you see Palpatine react. He, you know, we don't see that he knows what's happening, but it's clear that he's sensing something. Well, and here's the thing. that Maybe that's what you're talking about. Maybe that's that, that you know, nanosecond, as we hear about in Last Jedi, for a flash, a, yeah. a fleeting moment, yeah. you know, Obi-Wan was ready to to fall completely and just rip apart the force and go kill this guy. And then maybe because his, you know, significant other here is such a peaceful person, he holds that. But that flash of the dark side, that flash of just strong, you know, rock in the pond of the force is definitely that moment is what Sidious feels. Absolutely. And it's so great because he's like, Masamita, go get my shuttle. And I, again, reminding me that Masamita is the most interesting person in Star Wars. He saw everything. All of it. <laughs> Literally, yes. Uh, even the Royal Guards, Palpatine will just kill them if they find out he can control the Force. So, yeah, he's not. There aren't many people. You gotta but... wonder what Masamita has over Palpatine. Like, does he have, it's like, oh, you remember that Bathing one time? suit photos. He's like, you remember that one time in college, Palpy? I've always got those photos there in triplicates all around the world. If I die, all the newspapers in the world will have them. <laughs> like, there's something there. And I can't wait for the tell all uh, Maybe one day. So Sidious shows up on Mandalore, and every Mandalorian guard he walks past, he just force shows them. It's amazing. Dude. They just float up into the sky. He doesn't even look like he's flinching, and he just walked past them. I know them this is an topic, but what an amazing scene. What a just amazing oh, flex of her money of like, there is only one Dark yeah. Lord of the Sith. Absolutely. And the best best part of this entire thing to me is like it dawning on maul he's like i sense a presence master and then as he gets to the door like george maul's like master i did this all for you we're still friends i'm with you of course and savage is like why are you groveling he's like shut up savage anyway Listen, master, you yeah. like you've taken your own apprentice. He's not an apprentice. It's like an assassin, like how Dooku had. He's more like he's, an assistant. He's like you called him brother. It's it's a friendly, fun term we have. It's a pet name. It's it's we're still goal. good. We're yeah. still good. How you been? <laughs> and thankfully, we get amazing moments here of Sidious fighting with lightsabers. The best Sidious lightsaber duel we will ever get. And the reason this is all worth talking about is because this is going to set up 
the end, or I should say the next bit of Mandalore that we will get. Because Sidious kills Savage and disarms Maul and basically is electrocuting him, saying, I will not kill you, but I have a new apprentice, so you're not my apprentice, and I have a need for you. That's the only reason you're not dead. And so we know, as the audience, mm-hmm. that this will then, Maul gets captured by Sidious, put into prison, and freed by Death Watch. Yes. But while Maul is away, Bo-Katan essentially attempts to get Mandalore back on its feet. Yeah. Bo-Katan has kind of switched her politics, and while definitely more of a warrior than her sister was, the death of her sister profoundly affects her and makes her believe that there's a place for all Mandalorians and there's a place to build Mandalore back to something less maybe weak. I I think I let's put it this way. I think the Obi-Wan Kenobi act of no weapons on the planet. I think we're going to repeal that, mm-hmm. but otherwise mm-hmm. the whole being peaceful though, it's, it's still good. <laughs> still good. Yeah. So unfortunately we don't really get to see more of Mandalore's politics. Um, in this era, you know, they're going to change by the next time we see them a little bit more um, because they'll be at full war because Maul's back. Well, because when we get to, yeah, because Maul comes back, we have the Siege of Mandalore, and basically what we see is Olmec still is holding the prime ministership, mm-hmm. and um, the second Maul comes back, he's like, oh, hey, boss, you're the boss again. I'm fine with this. I'm not going to challenge you. You have a lightsaber. Yeah. So, it's... A really, really great character that we get in Satine. Um, unfortunately, we don't have more. You know, I, I think a lot of people would love one day to have, you know, a Master and Apprentice style book that is the story of Obi-Wan and Satine's year together on Mandalore. You know, that does give us more Gwygon information and all that. So yeah. I wouldn't be surprised if that's something we do get one day. Sure. But I think it's something that's probably not on the temp, you know, on the list anytime soon. So um, I'm glad we get so much of this character, but really the reason this character I think sticks so much is because of their relationship with Obi-Wan. And I would love more of this character to be developed as we go. And like I said, I would love to have a story, and I think High Republic would play around with the space a little bit more of like, what is Star Wars with the war part de-emphasized? Because like I said, I think the problem with Satine is she's instantly going to drown. She's a peaceful person in an action adventure show with war in the title, like doomed to not be to be a sympathetic character, but not a character we're going to empathize with in the sense of we see the damage of the war. We're always going to agree that action's the way to solve the problem. Right. Diplomacy is a platitude that we all agree to, but we like Bail Organa, who also still has a gun gun in his car just in case, which is ironic because he comes from a planet that has no weapons. But you know what? He's really good. He does do target shooting because, I don't know, I guess they still have sport weapons. I don't know. <laughs> um, you know, and I think Satine is just sort of trying to be as far in that direction, past Padme, past Bail Organa, past Leia, in the sense of, like, here is what a true pacifistic diplomat looks like. This is someone who really believes that war and conflict in and of itself are corrupting factors. I mean, her, her, he said her famous line of like, like the second we commit to the fight, we've already lost. And I love that point of view. And like I said, I feel bad because just to continue our, our sort of denouncement here, 
by the time we get to the siege of Mandalore, like Mandalore, there's guards and they have weapons and they're fighting against Clan Saxton and the remaining of the hardliner liner death watchers. And by the time we're done with that and we revisit this stuff in Rebels, they've been turned into Imperial Super Commandos. The entire planet is a military depot for the Empire. By the time we get to the Mandalorian, the planet has been what's left of the planet has been destroyed even more yeah because there are still things we don't know like what is the night of a thousand tears that is something we have not yet gotten we, we, we know, know that exists. what's left of mandalore is yeah. in a bad spot to the point that one of my favorite lines from the entire franchise right now <laughs> we're going back to mandalore that planet's cursed <laughs> yeah because bo katan yeah, is trying say, like the empire turned it to glass or something like that i think what we're going to find out it's a planetary bombardment yeah. is the idea of whatever's left on there like the few domes on the planet probably just got destroyed mm -hmm. now how we'll find out i'm sure eventually in yeah. either in the mandalorian or in supplementary context yeah. but bo katan is trying to get the dark saber to rally people which is kind of weird because it means that in all the time that Bo-Katan's been running around around the Empire, like, has basically sort of given up, not completely on Satine's ideals, but definitely on the idea of, like, no, no, I need the Darksaber. That's how we get our people, because they're all crazy warrior kids now. There's, like, none of them left who are, like, peaceful. They all got destroyed by the Empire. We do assume, assume that all those you know, normal civilians do die. I mean, yeah, that is kind of what so, we're thinking. So all that's left is the broadly the children of the watch which yeah. neither means that they're from death watch and death fell off the name or the watch is a broader movement and death watch was a particular sect of that movement the ones oh that see the way i it's been a while since i've watched episode three of mandalorian season two <laughs> so i was trying to remember but i'm pretty sure she says the children of the watch you're a child of the watch yeah you're line. yeah you're a child of the watch and we don't actually like they never say Death Watch, correct? But we see Death Watch because we see the up. symbol when Din yes. Djarin saved. So we know that Din is originally saved and recruited by Death Watch. So I think the well, way we interpret it is the Children of the Watch are a continuation. They're a spiritual. Well, the successor. thing about it that gets complicated is the way that the the covert talks about their Mandalorian traditions and how long they've been. They're longer than Death Watch's existence as we know it as pre Vizsla's good old boys on yeah. uh, Corindon. So that's so why I said, think that's propaganda by the armor. What I believe is that there is a group of Mandalorians that some long time ago, maybe the nuclear winter that caused Dome Cities, they went out to the galaxy. They made it a creed. They stopped caring about the religion. You know, it's they stopped caring about who you were, what planet you were from, and they carry on the Mandalorian ways of the ancient warriors. Yeah. And I think Death Watch is either groups of those people who want to come home and take over the planet again, yeah. or people mantling themselves in the Watch's traditions. Because one thing about Pre Vizsla and why I think Death Watch is separate from the Watch. Oh, Pre Vizsla takes his helmet off all the time. Bo-Katan takes their helmet off all the time. But see, there's I none think, of that tradition. See, I think those are things that all happen after the war. Like, whatever I, happens on Mandalore is what causes this shift well, from... And, and, and we'll just table this because we're sure. super off topic. Yeah, we have no idea. No, no, we have truly no idea. I, just, from my, just from my point of view, yeah. my thing is, it would be hard for me to believe that the Death Watch exists and that this entire group like this covert and whatever other coverts are in the galaxy 
it's hard for me to believe that they're only like 30 ish years old. Right. Cause yeah. there seems like there's like the armor doesn't strike me as a young person. <laughs> right. Um, yeah, that's, that's so, fair. So, so again, we don't know, but the important thing is that we see Bo-Katan is trying to, again, restore her sister's yeah. faith and try to get the Mandalorian people rallied under one cause again and stop having them keep splintered across the galaxy. And, you know, Bo-Katan is the greatest legacy of Satine because she out Satine Satine dies, Obi-Wan dies, Maul dies. She's the only one who's like the witness to all of this history. Yeah. Um, and I want to see so much more of that character because Bo-Katan, I think, is one of the more interesting and complex characters. And like you said, not only do I want to learn about Satine and Obi-Wan's past. Who is Corgi's mother or father? We need to know. We need, need an answer. I need a family tree for the Krees. Because Satine is retroactively Satine Krees, I guess. Because <laughs> they're house Krees, but is she Satine... Is she Satine Katan Krees? Is she... Is, did, is Bo-Katan married? Is that why she has a different last name? It's madness, and they aren't telling us the right answers. Or is Bo-Katan just like a compound name, like Madonna? I don't know. Yeah, I mean, it has a, a dash, so Through, it's one name. Bo-Katan is one name. Sure, but like... Kreese is the weird, last name. I guess so. Bo I don't Katan, know. first name, Clan Kreese. This is why we need a family tree. I need metrics. We do. We need this. Anyway. I'd love to know. I'd La- love last to thing. know. Satine's an amazing character. She makes Star Wars a much richer place. I just feel that, like, I wish that character had more breathing room to be less of a metaphor and more of a character. Oh, yeah, for sure. We need more. I mean, she doesn't really, she shows up in mentions here and there, you know, like, yes. uh, I think it's Queen Shadow or whichever, one of them, one of the Queen's books. Uh, soon there'll be three. So imagine I can't even keep the title straight now. God almighty. I just do what Goodreads does. Just a qu- <laughs> queen cycle, book one, book two, book three. Forget yeah. what their actual names are. Yeah, but they've come out out of order too, which makes it even harder. Anyway, um, so, you know, we need more. We have indirect mentions of her, but no more really for her story that I'm aware of. No, you know. No expansions beyond yeah, just. Yeah, there's no like source yeah. guides or anything but I like think- that. I think as a long enough timeline, we will keep filling in blanks. I think the seventh season of Clone Wars existing is nice because it's sort of re-energized that like there are still unfinished business with Clone Wars stories and, you know, kind of shows that that era is not sealed off. There will still be content. there. I wouldn't be surprised one bit if we get more Mando content in the Bad Batch. I also yep. wouldn't be surprised if we get more in the Book of Boba well, Fett or Mando season three. So there's plenty of places and completely where this could show up. I guarantee more stories will be told because Mandalore, the Mandalorian is the hottest property in Star Wars. Mm-hmm. And all of them are going to glean a little bit from that. Yes. Uh, just because that's 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 sort of the, the, the headwind we have in Star Wars right now is, hey, I don't know what you felt about those sequel trilogies, but everyone likes the Mandalore and everyone's like, yes. We pretty much all do like the Mandalorian. And even if we don't like it, we don't hate it. We just, eh, it's not my thing. And that's a great place for Star Wars yes. to be to get more stories. But we have talked about Satine way too much. Yes. So let, let's go. Let's, let's get out it. of here. Let's do it.
All right, let's flip these wings up and pull the thrusters down and land this landing craft that is this episode of Star Wars All In. Yes, land the landing craft that is formerly oh. known as Slave One. So here's the thing, funny story. So I looked up, I started looking up for the fact I missed in the last segment of like, what is mm. the name of the ship? Hit Eventually, me. halfway through, I remembered the name of the ship, at least Bo-Katan's is the gauntlet. That's the name mm -hmm, of the ship. Mm -hmm, and like, mm -hmm. but it has a class and I know it starts with a K, which I was right, it is. It's a Kamurk class or a Kamrik class or K... Try this on. K-O-M apostrophe R-K. Comreek. 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 That yeah. Was, yeah. It sounds Klingon. That works. Yeah. Um, so the Comreek class, which funny enough, do you know that came from eventually like a visual dictionary and stuff for like later Clone Wars stuff? But you know what? When Lego produced the show's version of that, the original Clone Wars version yeah. and the one the reissue that just came out, they just called it Mandalorian Fighter, which is weird because it has an official name in canon, in the Wikipedia, in the databank, for goodness sakes. And Lego just gave it a generic name. It's like they do that as a matter of course from time to time, like they did with Kylo's uh fighter which was the tie silent or silencer but they didn't call it the tie silencer there's a kylo's tie which is oh. max subtle way of talking to the controversy that he thinks is a non-troversy which is the recent reissue of boba fett's you know freighter in lego has been referred to as just is it boba fett's ship boba fett's starship so boba right. fett's starship. so yes so a few days ago or maybe a long time ago depending on when you're listening to this That's there true. was a, a little bit of hubbub going on in star wars twitter land because a article came out you know one of those things from a non-reputable source that everybody jumps on saying that lego was asked by disney not to use the name slave one on the next boba fett lego set because they wanted it to get away from using that name. Now, once again, all from a super unreliable article. Okay, I was going to say, yeah, say, like, that hasn't been officially confirmed. Well, okay. that's the thing. It's all, like, hearsay, like, a Lego expert. People familiar with the matter. Yeah, someone who works for Lego said that at a Lego conference, apparently. Sure. So that is kind of, you know, not that Disney hasn't actually said anything about it. So, you know, we talked about this a little bit. We kind of put out on Twitter, just like, you know, what are people's thoughts on this? Yeah. My kind of speculation is why now, right? If yes. it is, like, so let's just, like, the fact that it could just be literally a nonsensical decision, like, you know, the same way they change other Lego names, as Mac was just stating, well, right? Well, just say, Lego, just, just for context, ever, we've talked on the show before, Mac, Legos are one of the parts of Star Wars I collect the right. most. And the big thing with Lego is, Lego has a longer timeline than pretty much any other company. This is why so many leaks come out of Lego yeah. about Star Wars stuff is because this set they're releasing now, they probably planned, finalized, finished, and started manufacturing of it like 18 months ago, right? So, like, that was a decision. Like, this decision could have, in theory, in an amazing psycho world, could have, in theory, happened before Mando Season 2 decided they wanted to use Slave 1. It probably didn't. But in theory, it could because they have a Slave 1, and now that it's in The Mandalorian, that might be just a slight redo of the Slave 1s they've already released because they had a Slave 1, which I think... I didn't check. I think it had Slave 1 on it. So which every was when they Lego the Slave 1 they've done recently has had Slave 1 on the packaging. So the 20th anniversary was the was last say, one. And that was the big one. And they did. And then before that, they had the... Um, what the heck do they call and the high-end ones? 
oh the collector series yeah that that boba fett slave one collector series yeah the ultimate collector series was also yes ucs was also named uh slave one and 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 so it was when they remade it in the vintage collection last year and so was every hot wheels version of that put out (laughs) since disney's taken over so this isn't a name that disney all of a sudden realized was in their portfolio and decided to get rid of it right sure so it's not that and then we also have the added insight of knowing that with slave leia Another use of the word slave in Star Wars sure. since the eighties, right? They got rid of that right away. Well, and let's right also away. be let's also not be insensitive. At least here in the United States, we've had a lot of cleaning house about frank discussions about some words like slave in our culture yeah. and where we use it casually. Now, I think the problem is slave is such a global term, like yeah. as far as like it is a charged term in certain corridors, especially when it's around, you know, like race relationships in the United States, um, because, you, you know, there were people's ancestors who were enslaving other people's ancestors actively. And it's a understandably hot button issue. Yes. But it's also an extremely broad issue of the concept of slavery that there is a certain part of me that's like we can't exercise it from our world altogether right if you're going to read the book of exodus in the bible you know you're going to talk about slavery if you're looking at clone wars we're going to talk about how slavery is the worst thing and how anakin was a slave child oh yeah it's how we're discussing throughout star wars and it's because we use it as the ultimate like no one has a belief system that i think slavery is okay and should be justified like no everyone should have no i'm (laughs) saying Everyone has that knee-jerk reaction to slavery is bad and places that encourage it are places of bad or at least corrupted people, right? And so I think that's why Star Wars will always intrinsically have this. But I will say this thing in defense of Disney, if this is the reason they did it, is, you know, I think we got rid of Slave off of, of Slave Leia because... It's... There was more to it than just the word slave. Correct. There were a lot of... Um sexualizing a lot of charge yeah, yeah. Mm-hmm. but the other thing with slave one that I, I i will say in defense of of the caretakers of star wars if it is true that they said we want to minimize talking about slave one let us remember that nowhere on screen and out of no one's lips does the word slave one come out yeah i don't think they can just go and say well it's actually always called boba fett's favorite ship it's, yeah he calls it the he calls it spot after his pet dog. Like, no, I don't think there's any other name for that ship other than Slave One. At the same time, I think it's easy to pull back because remember, this exists in a database bank entry. This isn't the Millennium Falcon where it's set on screen a bunch of times, right? At the end of the day, I don't care if a Lego set has the word Slave One or not on it. I know what ship it is. <gasps> Yeah, okay. Now, what would you say to all the conspiracy theorists who say Lego's only doing this to raise prices on old sets? I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. That's just a joke. Are you with me that, like, if Disney's getting gun-shy about the word, it's because of the charge that has happened over the last 18 months? (sighs) For sure. For sure. Okay, so a couple things. Because we did, you know, there's obviously a lot of people sharing their opinions on this. Sure. And so I think it's... um, just worth saying that in general i'm a pretty uh liberal person yeah and so uh i am of the belief basically that one if you were the person saying this has ruined star wars for you and you will never give disney another dollar and you're done with star wars forever and good riddance it's awful 
you should have been here when they changed Mandalore to a peaceful nation because, man, let me tell you, that was a way bigger ripple in the pond. Just saying. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. So my point is, if you're that person saying how awful Star Wars is and how awful Disney is because of this, dude, get over yourself. Like, Star Wars is so much bigger than the name of a single ship. And if you're going to be that frustrated by it, then maybe Star Wars just isn't for you anymore. I think the broad thing we've talked about before is we've even dealt with. I've dealt with with Rogue One. You've dealt with it with Rise of Skywalker. Star Wars getting so big, you cannot be a master of all of it. It doesn't belong. All of it doesn't belong to just us anymore or one segment of fans. And that is a existentially terrifying thing. I have gone through it. And if this is the place where the veil has pierced for you of like, oh, no. Star Wars isn't just exclusively for me anymore. It's for all these people. It's like, yes, and that makes it a better universe and a better place, but I can understand that being scary. Yes. So anyway, the point I was trying to make essentially is that's ridiculous, but at the same time, it is absolutely ridiculous to take the name off the packaging. Like, absolutely unnecessary. It does not refer to a person. It refers to an inanimate object. Sure. It does not refer to, like, the lynching of a slave or the beheading of a slave. Like it's sure. not like a violent act towards someone. It is literally well, for instance, a noun. something that computer science um, groups all around yes, are they, starting to do yes. is, is yeah, I'm sure yeah. you've heard about the fact yeah. that we're getting away from, we used to call them master discs and slave discs. Yes. And we're getting rid of that because those are charged terms. Realtors don't use the term master bedroom anymore in listings. Interesting. Man. Yeah. What, what do you call it? Main owner's bedroom owner's suite i think but didn't owners also own see this is again this (laughs) is the problem is it's such a broad piece of human culture that i agree with a lot of the fervor but i think there's this we are still in the it we're i guess the best way to put it is there's a wave of us being better people and seeing what needs to get changed coming in it's washing across the shore and it's going to erode out all the things it doesn't need don't think we're sure what's going to stay and what's not going to stay. Yeah. What actually is absolutely bad and causing mm-hmm. people harm and what is not. And so yeah. in this exact moment in Star Wars, if Disney just says, we just don't want it on the package right now, <laughs> we're not. Because it's a toy well, well, here's for children. The, here's my thing. If they print the next visual guide and remove Slave 1 from that and call it Boba Fett's ship on the yeah. Mandalorian Season 3 visual guide then I think we have a reason to get the pitchforks and say, why? Where? Why? Well, especially because we don't know going into Bad Batch and Book of Boba Fett, maybe the reason is it's going to have a new name soon. That could be too. You know, that's part of it. The other side of it too is, if you're gonna oh my get... god, now I just have this crazy idea. Like, yes, now that I'm taking over Jabba's entire holdings, I've changed the name of my ship now that I've got it fixed up. What's it called? The Emancipator. Well, that's a hard swing in the other direction. Okay. <laughs> uh, I would like to throw into the discussion, into the pot, the name the Django as the replacement name for the ship. Oh, uh, that's good. That's good. Uh, but we'll see. And so I guess my final point on it is if you're going to not call it Slave One anymore, give it a new name. Don't call it Boba Fett's And, and again, I think at this hell. exact moment, I I still stand by it being a controversy because. Yeah. Oh, I agree. Lego has a huge history of naming things with just generic names. Like, they have not been 100% brand identifying with everything that the holocron says it's supposed to be called. So while it is weird that we went from canon names to a generic name, this is not without precedent. Like, literally, they made a Slave One two years ago. Yeah, for the 20th. Yeah. Yeah. So, like, 
that's the thing. That's what makes this. So I think weird that's why people are it. feeling that nerve twinge. Yeah. But I, I also just say like, I think we need more evidence yeah. and more instances before we start really digging into the ramifications. You of know that. what I would honestly love to know, especially. Uh, so this one's for you listeners. Uh, if you were genuinely offended by the name Slave One for a starship from 1980, let us know. And I, that, sorry, that may have come out as joking, but it wasn't meant to be. Like, seriously, well, and, I would like and, to know. And because I hope if you there don't, are it, a bunch of people out there that are feeling that way, then absolutely. I, I, but I don't think that's the case. And again, I, yeah, not to be, not to be sure of or, or, or try to like downplay that. If that's what caused it, I can understand that. But I think there's also an argument to be made of, like you said, this is not connected to the things that might charge that word in your vocabulary. Right. And there's no can, slaves that work on the slave one. Ex- Boba Fett is slave to no one. Yeah. Um, so I, I can, I, the point of the matter is, it's a sensitive issue. I understand why people on both sides are having very Absolutely. strong things, but I'm asking the entire galaxy, take a deep breath, search for calm, look inside yourself, and let the force flow, flow through you. For always in motion, the future is. Uh, in positive news for like 90% of Star Wars fans, uh, new books in the High Republic have launched by Yay! the time you're hearing this, which is great. So The Rising Storm and Race to Crash Point Tower both out now and uh, less than a month from now out of the shadows. So pretty busy bo- uh, pretty busy month coming up here for Star Wars books. Have not yet read either of them because I have essentially uh, – not wanted to do any more advanced reading of Star Wars books. I think I kind of learned that maybe that isn't for me. <laughs> um, and so I will be reading them as soon as they arrive. They are supposed to arrive today, and they didn't. So as soon as they show up, along with the deodorant I ordered from Amazon, I will have them. Hey, what if it's the deodorant that's holding up? It's like, well, we've had to bundle those. Wouldn't so. that be funny? Um, um, they are all coming in the same box. So anyway, I'm get... sure I will receive some more damaged books. And every time I say I'm going to stop buying them from Amazon, and every time I don't because it's just too damn easy. And I am part of the problem. Anyway, that's High Republic. What other Star Wars news do we have? Um, More Bad Batch. Bad Batch is great. Bad I'm Batch just, is still great. I'm, yep. Get your Cad Bane. I mean, it's awesome. So we're, we're loving it. I'm having a great time. I am it's loving it. It's better than I thought it could have been. Yes, yeah, same. And I think once it's the season is over, it's going to feel even better as a complete thing. The thing that I'm loving so much of it is it's more Rebels, less Clone Wars. You know, not as much anthology, more of a continuous story of one group of characters. It's the- weird. I'm more happy with that, but mostly because I know the season's short. Yeah. Like, if it was a 22 episode, I, I don't know if I'd want to serialize, yeah, but that's okay. I feel like so far I'm feeling good about it, especially because they're shorter episodes. But and let's see. it's also feeling some of that draft of Mandalorian of, like, I also like that they tend to be rounded. The last three have been pretty connected, but, yeah. like, um, I don't know. We'll see. Yeah. It doesn't matter. I'm really enjoying the show, and it's really cool to see, again, that sort of click forward in the timeline of finding a few characters who are, you know... Um, I just love watching the Empire being born. Oh, it's so much fun. It's so much fun. The only thing I want to say, I'm just going to throw this out here because it's just something I've been thinking about for a while. At a certain point, the formula of meet a character from the past and then never see them again is getting a little tiring in Star Wars television. Like, every episode seems to be, how can we shoehorn in a cameo of another character that you're familiar with? Why? Why is that I think everything it, we're getting over the I think it partially years? comes from Marvel. 
like the formula that's worked for Marvel of trying to make you feel it's connected. And that's an easy um, parlor trick Mm -hmm. to remind you of all this is connected. Um, You know, uh, especially if certain characters like like I fully expect the fact that I'm going to screw it up again. Fennec Shan? Yeah. Ah, I put it right. Not Shennec Fan. Yeah, that's right. Like I usually, okay. I hope that character goes the distance and is very well established with this crew of people because if it's all, if we've already seen everything we're going to see of that character in Bad Batch, I'm like, why were they here? (laughs) Like, what was the point? Like Captain Rex coming in and out. That's fine. Cause I know where Captain Rex ends up. I understand why he can't stay part of this story. Right. Um, but it is, I, I agree with you because Mandalorian was full of it. You know, yeah. like, here's Ahsoka, but for just this one episode. Here's Bo-Katan, but just for this yeah. one episode. Like, And don't get me wrong. I, I'm having so much fun seeing these characters brought into live action. Well, and I'm you're... having so much fun seeing these characters come back. But, like, I want new stuff. I was say, you're not nitpicking what's happened. Just, you're starting to see the pattern. And by the time we see the pattern, perhaps the pattern should stop. <laughs> right? Potentially, yes. I'm just worried that that is becoming a formula for Star Wars TV. Sure. And I don't want the Alkalite to be, oh, there's Opa Rancisis. Oh, there's Mother Talzin in this episode. Okay, oh, if it was Ropa There's Loading Great I'm Storm. A, a, like, uh, like, don't be wrong. Uh, I want that, I get you, but I, I get don't. You. Like, 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 just give me new things. Like, the High Republic is doing exactly what I want from Star Wars. And I'm worried that Star Wars television is not. Well, I think my thing is, like, I really like The Mandalorian is extremely balanced in my sense. But The Mandalorian's also in the shadows of the fall of the Empire. Mm-hmm. Like, in a weird way, it's not time-wise exactly. But, like, I enjoy that Bad Batch feels almost like a companion piece of, like, here's what the world looks after the Clone Wars. Just like The Mandalorian is, here's what the world looks like after the Galactic Civil War. Oh, Absolutely. Um, absolutely but because they're living in the shadows of this world it makes sense to bump into the, some of this stuff or to see old tech over and over again yeah don't or stuff like i that. think it makes way more sense in bad batch like i yeah. think it's worked way better there and i had a lot of these feelings watching mando season two for the first time sure. but frankly i just didn't care at the time because of how much i was enjoying it and i still do i still think season two is better than season one sure but i just like bring um what the but hell's his name? I, I Cash Vizsla or whatever. You know, bring the armor back. Bring back the new characters. That don't you've already keep, established. Yes. Don't keep bringing back. Like, like I loved, loved, loved. Um, oh, my God. Why, mm-hmm. why? Why is it escaping me right now? I don't know. What is his name? Who? Apollo Creed. Why can I not think of his name? Carl uh, Weathers. Uh, what the heck is uh, his name? Grief Karga. Yes. Okay. Grief Karga. An amazing new character. Oh yeah, and I get like for and when we saw him for another episode, it was great. Yeah, but like I want more of that, less of characters from twenty years ago. And by twenty years ago, I mean in the timeline, not in the history of Star Wars. Sure, because it's really only been oh my god, twelve years since the Clone. Anyway, uh... (laughs) ah, as your soul shivers as you realize that death is approaching and that you are mortal and someday will die. (sighs) Stinks. Yeah. And you're so much younger than me. That's so unfair. I'm sorry. It's a, okay. I tell you what, though. 
we have been all over the emotional spectrum. I hope you've enjoyed this insane roller coaster ride with us. Uh, and I hope you all are doing well. I hope you're feeling great. I hope you're enjoying the slow return out of the pandemic. You know, if you can go out and you're vaccinated, you don't have to wear a mask. I hope you enjoy that. I personally think that masks are very comfortable and that everyone will be wearing them in the future. And Mandalorians have it right. Never take it off. But if you don't feel that way, I hope you're enjoying getting tan on your face again. Mm. But in general, I think we're in a good place with Star Wars. is Noir High Republic. Uh, we've got two... Two flipping like, you know, Mando shows on the way. We've got Bad Batch. It's could definitely have a season two. It's doing very well. Like, things are going great for Star Wars. And we'll keep talking about it. Because I'm Mac. And I'm Ross. And until next Wednesday. This production is not endorsed by any other property and is the sole responsibility of Mac Purvis III, Ross Greco, and those involved in its production. It is meant for entertainment purposes only. Other than content provided by this production's providers, all music, music clips, sound bites, rights are reserved, and their respective owners have not endorsed any aspect of this show. Copyright 2021.